Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. For now, let's move on to I Was There When. This is a segment that we do every Thursday here on Nights. We uh, speak to someone who was there when history was made in New Zealand, and tonight we are talking to a man named Bill Logan. Bill was part of the push to decriminalise homosexuality back in 1986. Back then he was a member of the Gay Task Force. But uh, just a few years ago he also lobbied to expunge the convictions for homosexuality under that old law. And Bill joins me now. Kia ora to you. Hello, hello. How are you? Very well, thanks. Happy Pride Month to you, Bill. Yeah. Yeah, happy to you too. I wonder if we... If we start here at the very centre of things, uh, the day that this bill to decriminalise homosexuality had had passed, what do you remember about it? Where were you? I was in Parliament, actually. I was in the in the gallery. Um, yep, and it was fairly tense because although we thought we had the numbers, we weren't quite sure until until the until the votes were announced. Really, uh, and so it was really. But tense and exciting because we'd been working so hard for it for so long. Um, uh, quite a struggle, quite a lot of opposition to it, um, and uh, yeah, this a lot was of energy. Th- th- this was uh, a, a members' bill from Fran Wilde, who was a Labour MP at the time. And uh, you talk about the opposition. How close was the vote in the end? Oh, I think I think that we had. Uh, one or two votes to spare, but not much more than that. Mm. How did those old laws work? Because I've been using the shorthand of sort of decriminalising homosexuality. That, that wasn't quite, it was, this was really, it was about sex, right? Yeah, um, it, 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 it meant that it was illegal for two men to have sex. Uh, and it, was it wasn't I mean they didn't they didn't go looking on the whole uh, but if if anyone if a landlord reported it or or if a, a, another tenant reported it uh, they it would be used to get rid of people and um, more than the law though mm. what was important were the attitudes you see um, in those days the the prejudice against homosexuality was so huge uh, that uh, you couldn't really expect to have an ordinary job right. and, and be openly gay. And and what you got in the, what, it was 16 months that Fran's bill was being debated and there were, there were um, debates in, in, on television and every JC meeting or... Um, you know, parent teachers meeting and so on have to have speakers from both sides, and uh, it, it became something people talked about in pubs and at workplaces. And of course, at the beginning of that time, most people thought, "Well, I've never met, I don't know anyone who's gay." Right. Uh, but in the course of the argument, people started to say, "Well, you're talking about my brother. You're talking about me." Mm. And people found that they actually did know people who were gay. And the issues were debated out, and people's minds changed and attitudes changed. 
and and actually it was those that 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 reduction of, of prejudice which was more important than the law change yeah well, that's sort of the impression that I've got is that the law change was viewed certainly by by you folks and advocates in favour of of legal change as a a, a symbol of broader of, of a push towards broader societal acceptance of homosexuality, which you know e- even so, it would probably be fair to say took took some time after the passing of this legislation if if we indeed accept uh, that it's happened. Entirely now. Well, yeah, I think change takes a long time. It mm. goes in leaps, perhaps, but um, uh, and there was a, a huge reduction in in homophobia uh, uh, during that time, uh, and then there were several other campaigns ab- around the law, which um, which, which flowed too, and, and uh, also campaigns around AIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was something which happened at the same time as Laura Four as a hit New Zealand at the same time, uh, and that required a lot of public education and health education, which also uh, tackled prejudice. And so you get um, that that kind of advertising, and then you had a struggle for a change in the human rights legislation, which must have come through in what 1991 or 92. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the struggle for uh, civil unions, um, uh, and then the struggle for uh, equal rights for uh, for marriage, mm. and then there was also the, the stuff to expunge previous convictions. So there are a variety of different law changes, and a variety of campaigns against them, and each of them saw changes in attitudes. Um, which have all helped make things better, but yeah, you're right that it's not it's not perfect. I think it's not bad for for mainstream gay and lesbian people, but um, certainly if you're transsexual mm. and young, it can be a very difficult life. Um, people in the, in the average family I think in New Zealand still there might be an attitude well if someone else has got transsexual children that's that's okay but I wouldn't want one in my own family it can become an awful shock to a family if a teenager says well you, you know I'm not a little girl I'm a little boy mm-hmm. and that can that can lead to some nasty situations where we're where kids are rejected more or less by their family for two or three years. Their family usually gets used to it eventually. Mm. Uh, but um, a crucial two or three years in adolescence when your family can't cope with you doesn't do the average kids much good. Mm. And I see as a counsellor, I see some tragic stories. Yeah, yeah. Um Bill, take me back to you. Oh, I will also say um, uh, RNZ style, I think, is generally to, 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 to use the word transgender as well when referring to um, what, what you're just talking about there as well. But I, I, take, I take exactly the point that you're making there. Let's go back to 1986 and um, tell me a bit about you in the time leading up to that and how you got involved with this advocacy originally. Well, I I 
I came from a very political background. I'm part of the generation of 1968. Um, I was in the student movement and the anti-Vietnam War movement and the movement against rugby ties with South Africa under apartheid. Uh, And um, I had spent some years overseas in uh, revolutionary organizations came back to New Zealand, taught politics at, at Vic for a bit, uh, and um, then started a little political bookshop, which had a, a gay section in it. And uh, I was involved in the gay switchboard, which, which was a, an organization to give support to people who were coming to terms with being gay, and also just information about gay community events in a in a world where there weren't many public media and no internet, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I quite a considerable involvement in, in gay community things. And um, uh, actually, Fran uh, was wanting to meet the gay and lesbian communities in Wellington before the 1984 election to shore up her support. And so uh, I ended up organizing a meeting for that, at which she said that um, she would, if the circumstances seemed right, uh, introduce a bill. Uh, and yeah, well, she that was a successful meeting. People liked her. People voted for her. And so after the elections, we invited her back for a second meeting. Uh, and... Um, uh, put the hard word on her to go forward with that and set up the Gay Task Force in Wellington. Mm. And there were other organizations around the country which did similar things and we were in contact with them. Um, but I, I ended up being um, one of the main public representatives of the of the Gay Task Force. T- tell me a bit more about the Gay Task Force, who was involved and in, in, in what the the mission and I suppose the the means to the mission were as well? Well, the, the Gay Task Force was really whoever wanted to be involved in it in Wellington. Mm. It took different forms in different places, but it seemed to us in Wellington that uh, there were a lot of people who wanted to have this decriminalization and the changes to the Human Rights Act, and we could all work together. It was difficult to keep everyone working along the same track, of course, because you're such a diverse group of people you're talking about. You're talking about um, almost, well, rich, misogynist old men um, and radical activists, feminists, separatists, Mm. uh, and all sorts of people and all sorts of intermediate positions working together, and sometimes that was complicated. Um, But we had agreement on these key objectives, decriminalization of male homosexuality and changing the the human rights legislation. Well, we we lost the human rights legislation part of it. Mm. The bill came in two parts. Uh, we lost that, but we got the the um, decriminalisation, and we prepared opinion quite well. There was a lot of change in opinion uh, mm-hmm. over the over that sixteen months, 
and um, it wasn't long before we got that too. How did you, you know, it's a lot of what you, you seem to, you're talking about is it seems to be about, you know, the fundamentals of changing hearts and minds. And how did you kind of go about that? Was there an overarching strategy to it or did it evolve more organically as, as it went on? Well, I, I don't. I, I don't think we we div, we had the conception of a strategy mm. particularly. But um, yeah, you're wanting to unify everyone you can around these very limited objectives, and you want to exclude from consideration the factors which might pull people apart. Um, and it was important for us for example, to address questions of religion because most of our opposition uh, was based around fundamentalist churches. And one of the one of the things we had to get across was that that was only one view among the churches and probably the majority of Christians had a more um, accepting view of homosexuality. Uh, and so getting uh, groups going in the churches, uh, including uh, representation from the highest levels of some of the churches, was important to stand against the the um, fundamentalist uh, anti-gay Christians. Uh, and we also wanted to get um, community groups involved. So we had a, a, a very deliberate strategy of reaching out to every kind of community group uh, that uh, you can think of and offer them speakers and so on. So we had a, a bit of a, I suppose you call it a speakers bureau. Right. Um, and um, then we also had uh, demonstrations. We intervened at meetings that were organized by, um, by the, the campaign against us, trying to put our point of view uh, and to try to say that some of the really disgusting things which some of those uh, opponents of law reform said, um, really, really nasty, dirty things uh, that were said, uh, had to be answered. And, of course, we got quite angry. And, and that that also had its, its value as people saw how much this nastiness matters mm. and how people felt it to matter. That was one part of it. Then you also had to think about um, the members of parliament because you know we knew that their, their minds would be changed as they saw the electorate uh, changing their mind, but we had to give them reasons to change their mind. Mm. Uh, and so we, we had to get papers prepared convincing them of the particular arguments that they were engaged with winning them to their side. Um, and then uh, they organized, the, the uh, opposition organized a huge petition. Actually, it's the biggest petition ever in New Zealand's mm. history in form. And we had to expose that as fraudulent. Um, we had to prove that so many of the names on that petition were um, of non-existent people were I don't know how many times Donald Duck signed that petition. <laughs> um, you know, there were, and show the stories of people uh, being pressured uh, in churches and in old people's homes and so on uh, to uh, to support the petition. 
Uh, and so exposing the, the opposition mm. was, was a part of it. You... And then AIDS, as I said, was a, a very important element to the campaign. Yeah. I was going to ask about, about AIDS because, you know, the 1986, around that, that period of time, AIDS is a, a massive uh, uh, thing, uh, all, you know, all around the, the world. How did AIDS play into people's perceptions of homosexuality and the visibility of homosexuality? Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose that... At first, the opposition had the running with that issue uh, on the claim that AIDS was spread by homosexuality. Legalizing homosexuality would obviously increase the amount of homosexuality. Therefore, legalizing homosexuality would spread AIDS. Uh, But things don't work quite like that uh, because there's no way that legalizing homosexuality increased the number of homosexuals or or was likely to. Uh, What it was likely to do was make it easier for people to talk about the fact that they're gay and to expose themselves to the health education which was necessary uh, to to go to groups organized by the likes of the AIDS Foundation, which we set up set up at the same time as all this is happening, mm-hmm. um, to, um, uh, to 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 get the the education in, in use of condoms and other other ways you can avoid having AIDS. Uh, and, and you're not going to be able to do that education while uh, gayness is, is criminalized mm-hmm. because people aren't going to put their heads up and in those circumstances. And I, I think we we won that argument with a very large proportion of the population. They saw the obvious use of a legal status for gay gays if if uh, in an education um, program. It's um it's only thirty eight years ago that we're talking about here. Does it feel that does it feel like a long time ago for you? <laughs> well, I suppose I've had a life since then, you know. <laughs> um, so it's a lifetime ago. Um, mm. But frankly, there were some wonderful times in all in all this. Um, we were changing the world. We were changing our world, um, and uh, we were making a difference. And yeah, so inevitably. It was a highlight of my life, which which I personally look back on with a great deal of um, yeah, good feelings. Do you remember? Um, what am I trying to ask here? You know, you talk about how this is a from from your point of view, and in, in terms of the work that that you and your fellow advocates were doing here, this is a tremendous achievement to to get this over the line. Where did you go to from from there? If you understand the tenor of the question, you know you've you've got a this amazing achievement that you've contributed humongously to. Um, is there a bit of a struggle afterwards to find something equally meaningful to do with your life? Um, I don't. I suppose it wasn't straightforward in a way, but um, for a start. A lot of my friends were dying of AIDS, 
and a lot of people I didn't know but who were in the community which I'd become a sort of leader of yeah. were dying of AIDS. Uh, and I was involved in, in work with all those people uh, and uh, I ended up doing funerals for far too many of them. Mm. Um, and I, I suppose that I, I don't know if I was unemployable at that stage, but I felt a bit unemployable right. after public exposure in, in this way. Um, but I ended up doing funerals uh, and I, I started with people dying of AIDS, but I, it was before there were many funeral celebrants in, in the country. Uh, it, it was something that was normally done by, by ministers of the church. But this was the time of secularization of, of funerals, and uh, because gay men had been particularly alienated from churches in certain ways, to a certain extent, that it was there that it started. But I ended up doing being asked by funeral directors, you know, would you do a funeral for this little old lady in in Miramar and so on? And um, so by the middle of the 90s, I suppose I was doing five funerals a week or something like that, which is quite a lot, really, um, and found that quite fulfilling, um, but exhausting. And so then I trained as a counsellor. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, And I'd done some uh, volunteer counselling, of course, for people coming out, gay people, and also uh, people around AIDS questions um, before this. So there was a natural progression. Uh, yeah. And I, um, a lot of my counseling practice involves sexual minority people, mm. uh, uh, transgender, transsexual people, mm. and so on. So there's a, there's a, a, a direct line between yeah. then and now. That makes sense, Bill. It's been it's been really fascinating talking to you this evening. Thanks so much for coming on and um, giving us some insights into that period of time. Thank you very much for having me. That was Bill Logan, there, uh, a former member of the da- the Gay Task Force, um, which was an advocate for the homosexual law reform bill back in nineteen eighty six. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.